0: Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Howard Fox from the Success Insight podcast, and for my co-host, Randy Ford, I want to welcome you to another edition uh, where we are going to be introducing you to a very talented gentleman. His name is Adi Tantamed. Uh, Adi has a B.A. in English Literature from Bennington College and a Master's of Fine Arts in Film and Television Production from New York University. He has written radio plays, television scripts for the BBC, screenplays for various Hollywood companies, as well as graphic novels for DC Comics and Big Head Press. A nice little fact here I thought was pretty interesting. I think now he's my most famous guest so far. He was involved in the production of a Cold War Russian gangster uh, thriller, a post-Cold War Russian gangster thriller, which won a BAFTA for best short in 1995. 97. 97. All right.
0: Oh, actually 95. Sorry, I got it wrong then.
1: (laughs) Well, you know something, all I know is I was younger back then, but uh, we all were. We all were. And he is the author of A series of books that I find really fascinating, the Ravi P.I. books, and it's Her Nightly Embrace, Her Beautiful Monster, and Her Fugitive Heart. Adi Tantamed, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me, Howard.
1: Well, Adi, I have a question right off the bat, is what prompted you to sit down and start to write P.I. novels. I mean, I love the book covers, and everybody. You're going to get links back to our to Adi's uh, Amazon page. But what prompted you to write some P.I. books?
0: That's an interesting and convoluted story. I never really expected to, even though I read a lot of crime fiction and science fiction and genre fiction. And but for the longest time, I kept thinking private eye novels are fun. But once I started hearing about what private eyes Got up to in real life, I thought none of the private eye novels out there really talk about what private eyes really do, which is much more than we see in books. For instance, you know, a friend of mine in England, she became the target of tabloid reporters because of a mouth celebrity she was associated with. And she found herself getting stalked by tabloid reporters. And then when she started looking into it, she found that some of them were basically private detectives. So when she wanted to get these people off her back, she started talking to the right people who were connected. And she discovered stuff about private eyes, which is that the majority of them are ex-cops who have either been retired or kicked off the force for corruption. And they keep their ties to the police force. They have friends in the force. So when they get hired to look somebody up or to do a background check, they do things like they go to their friends at the police station and say, listen, here's 50 pounds. Can you get me the file on this person for me to take a look at, for example? And it kind of starts from there. And then at some point, I attended a talk by one of the high-end private detectives here in New York City. And he talked about what they were doing now, which is not really covered in a lot of private eye novels, which is that a lot of that stuff is done on computers if you want to find somebody now who's gone missing some of these private eyes don't if they know exactly where to look they don't need to leave the office they just get to find out this person's name they might get whatever details with them and they see if they have a social media account and quite often they can locate people if they're posting on social media accounts if they've gone missing or they've gone into hiding if they get a hold of somebody's social security number They have access to everything in this person's life, and they'll be able to track this person down without leaving the office.
1: So what you're telling me is all these television shows where the PI is driving the nicest cars, wearing the most dapper clothes, has the great bling, uh, has somebody beautiful hanging from their arm, going to exotic locations that's really not as glamorous as that.
0: It's not quite as glamorous as that, although there are private eyes who get so well paid that they do wear nice clothes and they might drive a nice car. But private eyes do not generally like get femme fatales coming through their door where they might have affairs with them and then they go solve a murder. Private eyes hardly ever solve a murder. You know, I make it a point of writing a scene early on in the first Ravi novel, Her Nightly Embrace, where his sister's boyfriend says, oh, so, so are you like Solving murders? And are you meeting femme fatales? And well, you know, for the sake of fiction, for, for fun, Ravi does meet femme fatales. But Ravi says, no, no, we don't do we don't do murders. You know, that's a police matter. If we're doing something and we come across a body, that's a big deal. We generally freak out and we call the police. And of course, the irony is during the course of the story, Ravi ends up in a case where bodies are falling all the time later on.
1: Let's talk a little bit about uh, Ravi. You know, what is the origin of his becoming a PI? Is this something he is born into by accident? Tell us about that.
0: The idea for Ravi is that I wanted to write somebody who is the last person you would ever expect to become a private eye because he's not an ex-cop. He's not ex-military. He's not, certainly not a, a spy. And he's just a fairly ordinary middle-class dude. You know, he comes from a nice family. He has morals. And he just thought he was going to go into academia. He thought he was going to become a religious scholar because his father's a professor. And his father's like a fairly big deal in India and even in British academia. And so he did he went into the PS PhD program to do like religious studies. So he knows a lot about religion and philosophy and mythology, except that the pressure was too big. He couldn't hack it. He found that it wasn't something he ever really wanted to do. And he basically had a nervous breakdown and he just dumped it. He gave it up, much to his father's disappointment mm-hmm. and disapproval. And then he went off and got qualification to become a high school teacher in, in in a fairly rough part of North London, where he was actually a fairly good teacher. You know, it was a job. It paid the bills. And then something happened where he ended up getting fired. So what happened to him is that one of his best friends from college, David, who's a character in the novel, who's become a lawyer and legal counsel for a high-end private detective agency, said, well, since you have bills and you have an overdraft and you you don't want to get evicted why don't you come in for an interview with my with the boss at this agency because they're looking for people and you're i've always known you to be a pretty smart guy Mm -hmm. and so he ends up getting hired and he's always constantly wondering what am i doing here because all of everyone else in this agency is like genius you know they have Ken, they have two ex cops who are toughest nails who are everyone's idea of what private eyes are you know people who are kind of gruff and not afraid to get their hands dirty because they used to be cops and they've seen the dirtiest side of humanity and they're not afraid of going sure. there you have this working class south london chinese british guy who probably doesn't even speak chinese but who's like a tech expert and a surveillance expert who could have gone into like the uh, like G c h q which is the British version of the NSA, except that this guy is such a trickster and he hates rules so much that he would never fit in there, but so he's perfectly happy to work here where the boss lets him do whatever he wants and bug anyone he wants because it's fun for him
1: you know I, I'm curious, and it sounds like one big, happy family there's a a spin to this is Robbie's not completely all there so to speak maybe Mm -hmm. he has some friends let's say perhaps share it that way he's got some friends maybe you could talk a little bit about about them
0: oh yeah Ravi has a mental condition Uh. where from the outside some people might say he might be suffering from a form of psychosis or schizophrenia which is that it started when he had his nervous breakdown when he gave up the phd program which is that whenever thing the situation around him that he's in start to get bad or intense, Hindu gods start showing up, and they're just standing in the corner like a Greek chorus, just kind of watching him and taking pictures of him on and recording him on their cell phones and tweeting about him, and this kind of. F- puts him in this spot because he finds it incredibly disconcerting. He's afraid that he's going crazy. He's afraid he's losing his mind. And part of the comedy and the irony is that more often than not, he's usually the sanest guy in the room because everyone else is crazy. Everyone else in his agency that he works with, they're also gleefully amoral and cynical. And there, essentially, he describes them as a bunch of brilliant screw-ups with nowhere else to go, because the boss is a collector of these people that he can use to further his, his jobs and get more money and get, uh, get the best results from cases, for example, and the agenda that he has in secret.
1: Sure. You know, I, I'm curious. Uh, well, two questions come to mind. One, do, are the deities, are they, are they helpful to Ravi in the solving of the case? Or are they just there as the observers and gathering the, you know, the information on their cell phones and cameras? Or,
0: Well, he initially thinks that they're just there as an extension of his neuroses or as his madness or his guilty conscience, except that it gets increasingly, increasingly ambiguous because... They start telling him things that he couldn't possibly know otherwise that actually helps him solve a case that might save his life in several cases. And so what that thin layer of mythology that I'm introducing here is, which is that what if Ravi isn't crazy? What if he really can see the gods or whatever it is that's channeling messages to him? And what if he's actually a shaman? because you don't expect a shaman in a modern day urban setting. How is a shaman going to function in a city in the 21st century? So there's a slight subtle layer that I like playing with, with Ravi and that progresses as the the novels go along.
1: Sure. And I'm curious too, just as, you know, reading about the stories and a couple more questions. One is, if you're giving advice to your readers, and, and I know you have a lot of uh, followers through the, you know, the, the pop culture websites and comics, but the, the reader like me who's just been introduced to your work, is this a, you know, evening before I go to bed read? Should I take these books on a vacation with me? If you were the sommelier of, of uh, PI authors, how would you suggest a reader consume these books?
0: These books are supposed to be a fun read, so you can take them with you on summer vacation if you want to relax. They're not horribly dark. You know, I don't do serial killings. I don't wallow in the nastiness of the world because what I wanted to do is is to write stories where, yes, Ravi and his colleagues do kind of end up having to face the nastiness of the world, but it's not in a way to kind of despair because the whole message of Ravi is that no matter what, if you wait long enough and you get the right information, you're going to be able to find an answer and come out of this in one piece because there always is a solution.
1: Excellent. And now that the the three books, uh, Her Nightly Embrace, Her Beautiful Monster and Her Her Fugitive Heart are out, what's next uh, for this book series?
0: Uh, Well, there's talk of turning it into a tv series and so it's in development right now it's a matter of finding the right people and so uh, so i'm kind of tangentially involved in that although I'm kind of writing a pilot script myself to give them a template, chances are they may not use the script, but then gives them an idea for how this might be presented as a TV show. Because one of the things that a lot of people have have difficulty wrapping their heads around is, okay, he's a private eye, but he sees gods as well. And these are gods that are not familiar to people unless they're Asian, for example. So there's a certain amount of Information that needs to be explained to somebody coming in for who and what the, the Hindu gods are, which makes it more than just a private eye show that because they become metaphors through which Ravi explores morality and the moral choices that he makes in the story.
1: You know, it's interesting. I think the worst thing that could happen is it gets produced here in the US by Hollywood and then deities are replaced by the US presidents for whatever reason. I think we need to keep it in Asia. And have oh, those A- yeah. Asian deities. I mean, we've, you know, we're kind of coming down to the wire uh, for the show. And I want to make sure that our listeners, uh, if they want to learn more about you and your work, uh, what's the best way to, to get to know you?
0: Let's see. They can follow me on Twitter. My handle is lookitmoves as one word: l o o k i t m o v e s. Where sometimes I just say snarky things about pop culture or a TV show that I'm uh, that I'm looking at, and I write columns for a pop culture website called Bleeding Cool. So that's at bleedingcool.com. And I'm usually writing, say, a review of some TV show that I find interesting and just examining the subtext and the ideas and themes that go into a TV show rather than just saying, oh, I like this show. I, I don't like this show because... TV shows often come from a confluence of influences and motivations. And it's really interesting when you look at what actually goes into the making of a TV show and what the writers and producers and directors and actors might be thinking when they make it. So that's bleedingcool.com. And I do have a superhero comedy graphic novel called La Muse that you can actually read for free online. And that's at bigheadpress.com backslash la muse. L a m u s e, And the whole 220-page comic is there for you to read. You can just click on the image to turn the page. And if you really like it, you can go order a hard copy on Amazon.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Adi, just uh, hang on for just a minute while we sign off and uh, give some uh, folks some direction again to how they can get to know you. And we'll be right back, okay? Okay. Thank, thank you again. Uh, so, folks, here you have it. Uh, Adi, Tantamet and he is the author of the Robbie Pi series her nightly embrace her beautiful monster and her Fugitive Heart you can find more information and read about Adi uh, uh, on the the Amazon website and we'll provide some links back to his books you can also check out his writing on bleedingcool.com you've got his Twitter handle and look it moves. And you can also uh, get his ebook. Um, and so there you have it. We've got you know another this is the creative uh, uh, lens through which we're presenting this podcast. There's a lot of creativity out there. And I don't know about you, but I definitely uh, want to uh, sit down and uh, enjoy the uh, Robbie Pi series. So for my partner Randy Ford, this is Howard Fox. Wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, go out there and have a phenomenal day. And thanks for joining us on the Success Insight Podcast. Thank you.
0: Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and
1: First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.